Good morning, everybody. On the way into Saddle School this morning, I stopped Bill Scanlon because I figured he's a wise man, knowing all. And I pointed up, I says, what is that up there? And uh, he had to back up and look. And I, said, I don't know, I don't see anything. I says, what is that light thing up there? And he said, it actually is the sun. Uh, I was just getting to the point, you know, it's been a while since we've really seen a sun. And, uh, but I'm grateful that it's there. Um, several things I like about preaching is coming up with a, a title that makes people think and then also choosing the songs that uh, the congregation gets to sing. And uh, this is something that is important to me because, you know, we all need to learn something. And in the scripture reading, is train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. And then following along with that, in Matthew 18, 3 and 4, Assuredly, I say unto you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as a child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And moving along in, in Matthew eighteen fourteen, it says, Even so, it is not the will of our Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. And children, the little children were brought to him, and he, he put his hands on them and prayed for them, and the disciples rebuked him. But Jesus said, Let the little children come to me. And do not forbid them, for in such is the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and departed from there. You can see a trend going through here. The kids are important. How many people here have seen or heard of the show? Are you smarter than a fifth grader? For those of you that haven't seen it, it's a very intriguing, embarrassing show. Because there's a million dollars out there. All you have to do is answer ten questions. And then it's even lopsided because you, they, they have five actual fifth graders there. And they come up, and if you're not sure of a question you can choose one of those to help with the answer. Like I said, it's embarrassing because they start out with first grade questions, second grade questions, they go all the way up to fifth grade. They've changed the format. I haven't seen it now for a while. I don't even know if it's still on. But they changed the format a little bit, and to my knowledge, no one has ever won the million dollars. We're talking a fifth grader here. So anyways... To go along sermon here is it's been said, I've learned everything I need to know to make it in life in kindergarten. Thank you. There's some people that had the same experience as me. So what did we learn in kindergarten? The alphabet, how to count, colors, how to color in in the lines. I can, yeah, I, I feel you. Um, you know, and, and being able to, you know, to, to color in the lines and then cut around the lines. It's self-control. And whenever I'm coming to something I want to cut, 
And I want to stay in the lines. I always think of that. Man, that's something that Miss Mitchell taught me back in, in, in kindergarten. Then we learned to play well in the sandbox. Unfortunately, there's a lot of Fs there. Um, something else that uh, I'm embarrassed to say that I learned and is not being taken care of since then is how to treat the American flag. I remember as a kid, we would go and put the flag up every day. And at the end of the day, we took it down. And we were always instructed, it should not touch the ground and it really shouldn't go below your waist. And then along with that, learn to pledge allegiance to America. Unfortunately, 52 years later, it's looked down upon because it's being prejudiced against Allah. But one of the most important things I learned in kindergarten, and I share this with President Ronald Reagan, is the correct way to take a nap. Work with me. So, what, what else do children learn? There was a kindergarten teacher, and giving us some thought and stuff, she wanted to, she, she gave the kids an assignment, a homework. And she said, okay, go home tonight and think about your religion and come back and we'll discuss it the next day. So the kids come back the next day and, and, um, she says, class, are you ready to go? And Benjamin says, yeah. And he gets up and says, my name is Benjamin. I am a Jew. And here is the star of David. And he goes and sits down. The next kid is, comes up and says, hello, my name is Mary. And I'm a Catholic. And here is my rosary. The third student gets up and says, my name is Tommy. And I'm a Methodist. And here is my casserole. Where did the Seventh-day Adventist Church get its roots from? The Methodist Church. I found that interesting. But anyways, let's look at some of the things that that kids learn and have learned. And I want to encourage you, if you have your Bible with you or there's one in the pew, turn to Exodus 2. And Exodus 2 is talking about Moses. And I'm reading from the New King James Version. And it starts out, A man of the house of Levi went and took his wife, a daughter of Levi. So the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she had, when she seen him, that he was a beautiful child, she hid him for three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she took an ark of bulrushes for him, dabbed him in asphalt and pitch, put the child in it and laid it in the reeds in the riverbank. And his sister stood afar off to know what would be done with him. Then the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe in the water, and her maidens walked along the riverside. And when she saw the ark among the reeds, she sent her maids out to, to get it. And when they, she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby wept. So she had compassion on him and said, This must be one of the Hebrew children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse uh, from the Hebrew women that she may nurse him? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the maiden went and called the child's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse, nurse him for me, and I will give you wages. So the women took the child and nursed him. And the child grew. 
And she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and when, and he became her son. And she called his name Moses, saying, Because I drew him out of the water. That's interesting. So, it doesn't give us the actual age of what Moses Moses is here when he was turned back to Pharaoh, the Pharaoh's daughter. But his early training from his father and his mother, and with the help of God, he was able to save a nation. And he wrote the first five books of the Bible, plus Job, which was actually the first one written. We we know that he went on and was trained in the Egyptians' best schools. But where did he get his ground, his 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 solid grounding, the basement for his learning? He got it with his mom and dad. Turn to First Samuel chapter one, and we're going to look at Samuel here. And this is again a very interesting story. Unfortunately, it starts out of verse 1 here, going through and giving the, the a little bit more of a history than maybe we need. Now, there was a certain man named Ratham, Sobin, on the mountains of Ephraim, and his name was Elikian, the son of Jerome, and the son of Eli, or Eliah, and the son of Toa. And he, okay, I lost my place, and the son of, of Ephraim. He had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the other's name was Penah. Penna had children, but Hannah had no children. And whenever the time came for Elkiah to make an offering, he would give portions to Penna, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave double portion, for he loved Hannah. Which is sad to say that he loved, it says he loved her, and he did the other just out of, to look good to the neighborhood. Although the Lord had closed her womb, and her rival also provoked her severely. Verse 10, and she was a, and she was in bitterness of sorrow and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. Then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not for, forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall come upon his head. That means he'd be a Nazarite like Samson, John the Baptist, and Jesus. Verse 12, It happened as she continued to pray before the Lord that Eli watched her mouth. Now Hannah spoke in her heart, but her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought she was drunk. So Eli said to her, How long will you be drunk? Put your wine away from you. I just want to put in there, Judge not that ye be judged. Here she was praying in earnest. And we remember the story of Jesus when he was talking about the priest. And he wanted everybody to know that he was praying to God and that he was such a righteous man. But then there was a sinner off in the corner on humbling himself on his knees and praying. That's what I think of when I, when I think of, of the story, of the story here of Hannah. Verse 15, but Hannah answered and said, no, my Lord, I'm a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but I have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman, for out of the abundance of my of my complaint and grief I have spo- I have spoken until now. Going to verse twenty, so it came to pass in the process of time that Hannah conceived and bore a son and called his name Samuel, saying, Because I have asked for him from the Lord. 
Now the man, Al-Qaeda, and his entire household went up to offer the Lord the yearly sacrifice and his vow, but Hannah did not go. And she said to her husband, Not until the child is weaned, then I will take him to appear before the Lord. Then going down to verse uh, to verse 24, and Now then he had weaned, she took him up with her with three bowls, an ephraim of, of flour and a skin of salt, uh, wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh. And the Lord was young, and the child was young, I'm sorry. Then they slaughtered a bull and brought the, the child to Eli. And he said, O oh my Lord, as your, I am the woman who stood by you here, praying to the Lord for this child, I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition, which I asked him. Therefore, I also have lent him to the Lord. As long, he has, as long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord. So they worshiped there. I want to read something from Ellen White here from the Prophets and Kings where she's talking about this. A mother's vow, as Hannah looked upon the child, she called him Samuel, asked of God, as soon as the little one was was old enough to be separated from his mother, she filled her her vow to dedicate him to the service of God. She loved her child with all the devotion of a mother's heart. He was her only son, the special gift of heaven, but she had received him as a treasure consecrated to God, and she would not withhold from the giver his own. If something like that happened today, what do you think social services would do? But yet, she made a solemn promise to God, and God answered her prayer and gave her what she wanted. So then you could look at it and say, would God have really been upset if she would have kept him? Samuel learned at the feet of Hannah the important things of life, to serve God even to the sons, even though the sons of the high priest, Eli, didn't. And when she turned him over to God for the rest of his training, and then it goes on to say that he even... She, she would every year go. She'd make a robe and take to him. Hannah made a commitment to God and honored it. Samuel went on with the guidance of God to help choose, mentor, and guide the kings of Israel. Later, she had three sons and two daughters. So she was blessed. But the important thing here is, as we talked a little bit about Samuel in, uh, in our um, Sabbath school this morning, how he was honored to go be the one to anoint Saul and to go out and, and anoint David. And we have to look at this. Okay, he learned a lot of things from Eli, but so did Eli's sons. But he was grounded at the feet of his mother. One other great story that goes along with this is, is the story of Jesus in Luke 2. Uh, another compelling story here, starting with verse 39. So when they had performed all the things according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own city, Nazareth. And the child grew up and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Passover. And when he was 12 years old, 
they went to, the, to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. When they had finished the days as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind, the, behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother did not know it. But supposing him to be with, in the company, it, it, they had went a journey, and, a day's journey, and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. So when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. Now so it was that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all they heard from, all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. So when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, Son, why haven't, why have you done this? Look, your father and I have been, have been so anxious looking for you. And he said to them, Why did you seek me? Did you not know I must be about my father's business? But they did not understand the statement which he had spoke to them. Verse 51. Then he went down with them to Nazareth and was, and was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor of God and men. Growing up, I, that was one of the first memory texts that I remember after John 3.16. Is uh, Luke 2:52, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature, and in favor with God and man. Jesus learned at the feet of his mother. At 12 years old, fifth, sixth grade, he could ask, answer, and discuss the Bible teachings with the priests, scribes, and Pharisees. All were astonished at his knowledge. Looking at these three examples, each mother wanted a child to do the Lord's work, not just them, but for God. There is also Joseph, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and others. So what do you think they all learned in kindergarten? Are we too old to continue learning? Youth, youth are our future in our country and our church. Are we willing to teach, mentor, and respect them? If we aren't, then who? Do we want them turning to pulp, pop culture? Are they not worthy of our time? Something else from Ellen White in Patriarchs and Prophets. The lack of faith, the blessing is so earnestly sought by every Hebrew was denied this, this godly pair. Home was not gladdened by the voice of childhood and the desire of of perpetuating the, his name led the, led the husband as it had made many others to consecrate, or excuse me, to contract a second marriage. But this step prompted by a lack of faith of God did not bring happiness. There's other stories of men that wanted to have children and went and, and took on multiple wives. Most of them ended up not being a blessing to God. And again, you look in, in the culture of today, and I gotta be careful how I say this, but many times motherhood is looked down upon. They say, all you want to be is a homemaker and a mom? How do you feel fulfilled? Well, if someone is wondering how they can do that and, and feel fulfilled, 
often need to look at these stories. Yes, these people could have gone on and been great and powerful people. Everybody here, I think, is aware of, of uh, Dr. Ben Carson and then also of, of uh, Barry Black, both now prominent men. Both have PhDs. I can't remember which one of them. I think it was it was Barry Black. His mom couldn't read. Oh, it's Carson. Okay, Dr. Carson. His mom couldn't read, but yet every night when the kids would come home from school, she would make them read a book and then write an essay and make a book report on it. So maybe she couldn't read the Bible to them. There was a lot of things she couldn't do, but yet she instilled that love and faith. So, getting back, what did we all learn in kindergarten? Yeah, we needed to learn more things since kindergarten, but yet a lot of that ground-firming things that shape us and that's why Jesus looked at the, at the children and encouraged the children. And we talked about it as we were coming out today in the back. Actually, I was the one that brought it up because of this, that I, I was wondering who was going to read the, the Scripture today. And because uh, the last couple times I've been up here, Miss Lawton has, has been willing to do that. And I think that's neat. I started out on 13th Sabbath, coming up in front and, and saying the memory verses. And I remembered and enjoying that when my kids were in those in that age group going up. It makes you feel comfortable being up in front. It makes you learning the, 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 the scriptures. But when I was growing up, you know, you were expected to get up in front and and remember, learn all 13 memory verses. Now kids go to school, they don't want teachers and the school boards don't even want you to have an A, B, C. They want to have pass or fail. So where's the challenge? What is driving? What is the motivation to learn something and to become something? Again, it comes back to family values. If we don't have those family values and if we don't instill those, that's what makes gangs so popular because people that are in the gangs, the majority of them, didn't feel loved. They didn't feel wanted. So there's gangs out there that are looking for people, actually preying on people to get them to come in, and they join a family, and they will do anything they can to support that family, whether it's good, bad, or indifference. They're going to where they feel loved and wanted. And we as a church, me included, we have to include the kids. We have to make them feel wanted. We have to instill in them that is enjoyable, not just for the pleasure, but it's enjoyable to come into church and to, to learn things about God. And this, this quarterly, we're talking about the laws. It's not just thou shalt this, thou shalt that. There's just so many things that just make common sense. That isn't the only thing that church is about, but it's getting together and learning and sharing what you've learned 
and and learning from the other people and their and in, in, in the things that they've done. Yes, people have made mistakes. We've all made mistakes, but if we can bring them and share them with others so that others don't make the same mistakes that we did, we will become a stronger church family. We will become a personal family, a church family, and a country. The children are our future. And one way or another, they're going to grow up. And where are they going to get their grounding from? The closing song today, anybody that's been to the academy is going to know this song. And um, I always looked forward to Saturday night Vespers because every Saturday night for four years, I sang this song. And... At alumni weekend now, we now that Miss Summerton has passed away, Carl Sigler is asked every year to do the the reading and then we'd sing this song and we still do that. That I don't know when it started, but I just know from back it started before nineteen sixty nine and it's continued on. But Father lead me day by day 